Last week, we looked at the first half of Matthew 18. And in that chapter, Jesus talked about how the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is actually one who is humble, one who's humble like a little child. And so that's how we become Christians. That's the attitude we carry throughout our Christianity is this humility, this not looking out for ourselves or our own interests, but caring about others. And Jesus teaches that's how we should interact with each other. So we should receive other believers like this. We should not cause them to stumble. And we do that. We treat other believers in this way because God cares for them. He's the kind of God who leaves the 99 to go and find the one. And so we should care for other believers in this same way as well. We shouldn't despise them or look down on them when they sin, but we should desire that they come back. But that shouldn't be all. We shouldn't just desire that they come back from sin and come back to the Lord. But that when someone uh, is sinning, we should also be willing to speak the truth and love to them. To not just hope that someone else will talk to them or get through to them, but that we ourselves personally are given a responsibility to go after other believers, just like God goes after them as well. And that's what the second half of Matthew 18 talks about. And that is our passage this morning. And so I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Matthew chapter 18. And we will start in verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. And the word of the Lord says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he was brought, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Amen. May God bless the reading and teaching of his word. And so when this passage starts, we see that there are two people involved. Right? There are you and someone else. We see that there are clear instructions given. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's telling them how to interact with other believers. What do you do when another believer sins against you? He's told them, don't cause another believer to sin. Don't lead them into sin. But what happens when someone else sins against you? What are you supposed to do in that moment? So he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to us, this is what you are supposed to do. He gives them a responsibility. He says, go to them. Go and tell them their fault. Someone sins against you, it's your responsibility to bring that up with them. Earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave that responsibility to the person who sinned as well. He said, if you're at the altar and you realize that you've sinned against someone, someone else has something against you, in other words, you've offended them, then you're supposed to go and work that out with them. And so here we see the flip side. If someone has sinned against you, you also are given that responsibility. So both parties are given that responsibility in the book of Matthew. And so we can see here God's heart, that God cares about these relationships between believers. He cares about reconciling to each other. And so sometimes... Uh, when we read this and we hear this instruction, uh, we, we think it's not our place to go and talk to that other person, right? They, they did something wrong against us, uh, but sometimes we don't like to stir the pot. We don't like to bring up conflicts. Uh, but here's a simple test to know whether it's your responsibility or not. Uh, this doesn't apply always. There are other times where we need to talk about things and address things, but Jesus says, if someone has sinned against you, then it's your responsibility to go and talk to them, to go and address that sin. When we are wronged, when we're sinned against, we can't just wait for someone else to address it. We can't just uh, brush it off and think we're being extra mature by not uh, bringing it up, by passing over it. That is our responsibility to go and bring it up, to address it. That's what Jesus is telling us. He's commanding his disciples to do in this passage. And so when you read this passage, and it's very clear, it's very plain when this happens, 
uh, it says if this happens. Um, maybe a little tongue-in-cheek there. If your brother sins against you. But it's very clear, right, what we are supposed to do. Someone sins against you, you go and you address it with them. But whenever we hear this, sometimes we have this natural tendency that bubbles up inside of us to get uncomfortable at this idea. Uh, if you're an introvert or you just uh, don't like to bring up conflicts, right, it's something that uh, really everything inside of you uh, fights against. The idea of doing it makes you uncomfortable, let alone doing it. And so this is something that the Bible has a term for that's called being fearful, right? We can be fearful of doing what the Bible says here. Not everyone has that fear, right? Some people are better than others at speaking their minds. Uh, and in this situation, as long as you speak the truth in love, that's a good thing. That's a, uh, a tendency that helps us not be fearful when we're supposed to actually say something, right? But if you're someone who's inclined towards uh, being quieter, then we need to realize in these moments that our natural reaction is not right. That the Bible would lead us in a different direction. Our natural inclination to be quiet and not bring anything up is actually leading us down an opposite path from the Bible, what the Bible tells us here. And so we must instead act in faith in those moments. Trust what God says. Take that step, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and go and talk to that person. You remember in the passage right before this that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, God had just left the 99. There was a parable. He's the good shepherd. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one in order to bring them back. And really, that's how we should approach these situations. When we go, we should approach it as uh, a shepherd's attitude, so to speak. One who cares for the other person. This isn't just something we're doing begrudgingly or just to get over with. Right, but we actually care about them. We want what is good for them. And sometimes this is what God uses to actually bring that person back, to put them back on the right path. So as we imitate God, then often he works through people. Not always. We know God can do things independently of people. And yet God often chooses to work through people. And this is one of the ways that he does. He works through us to help other people grow and not uh, continue in sin. As we reprove each other. As we admonish each other whenever it's needed. And so we must go to other people when they sin against us. It shows our care for them. And really, if we are unwilling to do this, then the opposite is true. It, it really shows that we don't care that much about them. We don't care about their soul. In fact, we, we care more about our comfort and not getting into conflict than we care about their good and seeing them grow in holiness. But when we imitate God, when we follow after him in this and talk to someone who has sinned against us, then we, we're not only imitating the God who leaves the 99 and goes to the one, but we are, we're imitating the God of the gospel, right? Think about this. God addresses sin, right? He doesn't just let sin slide, and this is actually a good thing, right? He, he didn't just let people, humanity, go off into sin and let them go, but what did he do? He sent Jesus to come, to die on the cross, to deal with sin, to address sin. And then he proclaims the gospel that we are 
sinners. What is the first message that Jesus, that John the Baptist, they say, repent. In other words, turn from your sin. This is where the message of God starts to us. And what is that? We call that the good news. Because this is a good thing when people turn from their sin. And so when we follow this process, we're actually proclaiming a portion of the gospel. We're pointing people towards the goodness of God that we sin and uh, this path will lead you to destruction. But God has made a way for you to overcome the sin, to be forgiven, to turn back to him, come to him and be saved and be set free and follow his path. Don't continue down this path. This is really the weight of this passage. There's a weight to it, a responsibility to it, that we shouldn't take it lightly, that this is about caring for the brother and sister in Christ. Once we feel the force of this, once we understand this command, this straightforward command, we and we're committed to obeying it, not just understanding it, but committed to it, we, we then need to think and consider the question, well, does this mean that Every time someone sins, I'm supposed to go to them. I'm supposed to talk about it with them. Uh, does it mean that I'm like the person sitting over in the chair with fly swatter, just waiting for that fly to come by so I can swat it? Is that how we interact with other people? We're just waiting for them to mess up so we can, we can jump on it, right? Well, I think there are passages that speak to that. James talks about not just... Uh, well, I'll read it. James chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says this, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James tells us this, don't just remember judgment, but remember mercy as well. Jesus has said something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. He tells us not to be hypercritical with other believers. That's the point of the phrase, judge not, that you be not judged. So God is merciful to us. That should lead us to understand there are times where we should be merciful with others as well. You kind of understand this intuitively as a parent, right? You can think about your kids and how they grow and we're not supposed to uh, crush their spirits Colossians 3.21 says this, that uh, fathers are supposed to bring up their children and not discourage them, not let their spirits be crushed in that process. So there's this balance between discipline and still not being overbearing, so to speak. So you have to find that balance. Well, it's similar in this situation in when do I confront sin? And here's the thing to keep in mind. Here's probably the guideline. When do I actually bring this up? The Bible tells me to. I need to think about doing it. I need to be willing to do it. Do I do it every time? Well, here's probably the test. Jesus has just said, again, God leaves the 99 to follow, to go after the one. Well, what does that mean? That means that one sheep has strayed off the path. In other words, there's, they're following a different path, right? There's a pattern in their life. They've either drifted from God and the gospel altogether, or there's this repeated pattern of, of going a different way, even if they're still believing in God, but they have this area where they're drifting. And that one area can lead to drifting in other areas. And so when someone strays from that path, so to speak, 
we should follow God's example. Whether they've turned away from God or whether they've just got this pattern that has started to happen in their lives of this sin that's coming up. If it's maybe a one-time thing, then we could still have a conversation about it, but maybe that's one of those things that we could be more merciful in. But sometimes it doesn't even have to be a pattern. Sometimes it's a one-time thing. We can think of serious sins that are one-time things that are still things that need to be addressed. You can think about uh, adultery, right? That may not be repeated, but it is a serious sin that must be addressed. Uh, The Bible gives us guidelines in this as well. I was thinking about this this last week. Why are there so many death penalties in the Old Testament for the law? Well, I think one of the reasons is because in the Old Testament law, God is giving us really guidelines and instructions for what are these serious sins that really need to be addressed that will lead you to destruction, that will lead you to be, in the Old Testament, cut off from the people of Israel. We know we're not under the Old Covenant, but we understand Uh, this truth from the law that there are sins that lead us away and will lead to our destruction and so we need to be willing even if that just occurs one time in someone's life to go to them to address it with them and so we see that pattern when there are outward sins that were provable verifiable in the old testament that were um, not just things internal like envy or pride but things that were external like murder or sexual immorality those were sins that were clearly people were not following God and that needed to be addressed and so that gives us guidelines when do you go and talk to someone and again this is what we're supposed to do we're supposed to go to them and tell them their faults and what is the hope in this we see that if they listen we gain our brother that is the sweetest phrase gain our brother. That is really the hope, the, the heart of this process. We want to gain our brother as we address this sin. We know that idea of listening. It says if they listen to you, we know that carries the idea of some repentance or uh, apology or seeking forgiveness, right? That's the point here. And when they do that, as we hope they will If they do, then we're supposed to forgive them, right? This whole second half is about Jesus telling Peter, hey, how many times, Peter asked, should I forgive this person? Peter understands, I'm going to have to talk about sin with people. That's what Jesus just said. He understands, well, this sets me up to being wronged repeatedly by someone, right? If I go to them and they just say they're sorry, Well, then I'm supposed to forgive them. I understand that. Jesus has taught that. But how many times? When do I get to stop forgiving them and just be done with it or just move on? How does that work? And there's there's more to be said about this, but this is what Jesus says in the moment. He says, well, you keep forgiving them. You keep forgiving them. Even if it keeps happening and you keep talking to that person and they keep saying they're sorry, Jesus says, keep forgiving because that is how our heavenly father deals with us as we keep on sinning as our lives aren't perfect yet this side of heaven he keeps forgiving us and so that should be our heart as we go to someone not vindictively or to 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 be harsh with them but hoping that they turn to the lord that they change and then we forgive and we don't 
bear a grudge and be bitter towards them, but we forgive like God did with us. And so that is our hope. And hopefully this process stops right there. That we go to them individually, it says, between us and them alone, and we talk to them and it works out and uh, things are reconciled. But that doesn't always happen. And the Bible tells us what to do if they do not listen, if they aren't sorry or they don't recognize their sin and ask for forgiveness and turn off of their path. Right? But what are we supposed to do in that moment when they don't? Jesus continues, and he really tells us that it kind of depends whether your church members with them or not. That's one of the things we pick up. We realize that eventually we might have to tell it to the church. That tips us off that there's this process within the church going on here. And so we gain principles from this for every interacting with everyone. But all these steps might not be possible if you're not church members with them. If this is a conflict with someone else outside the church. And so if the person sins against you and they're a part of the church, then the next step is to take two or three others with you, one or two others with you, so that it's not just your word, but other people are seeing this as well. Right? It's not just you thinking this, but other people have recognized that they're straying in this way as well. Uh, sometimes when you take or you talk about it with a couple other people, you realize, well, uh, maybe there's another side to this as well. Maybe it's not as clear cut as I thought. But sometimes, no, other people see this pattern as well. And then uh, what are you supposed to do? Not just you, but y'all then are supposed to talk to them. Y'all is the greatest word in the English language. The plural second person, y'all. It's a great southern invention. But it's not just you, it's y'all. Y'all are supposed to do this then. Right? That's the next step in the process. And so, again, sometimes this is what God uses. They listen, they turn. Uh, on the flip side, if, if multiple people are telling us something in our lives, we should listen. We should be humble in that moment and recognize this probably is something, a pattern in my life that I need to address. And so the multiple people go, that's the second step. And hopefully things are resolved, reconciled there. And what happens if they're not? Then Jesus gives this third step. He says, take it to the church. In other words, now it's not just a few people involved. Now it's the church involved. The whole church is supposed to seek after this person, uh, to, uh, to address this sin with them. And again, this is why it's important that these are uh, visible, external, verifiable sins. This isn't just hearsay, or this isn't just what you think someone is doing. This is verifiable, right? As we talked about with these Old Testament laws. He says, if they have strayed, tell it to the church. If they don't listen to the church, what does he say? That you are supposed to count them as a Gentile and a tax collector. A Gentile and a tax collector. That's really equivalent to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 when he talks about this process as well. He says to remove that person from membership. He says, put them outside the church. There are those inside, there are members, there are those outside. If someone's not going to listen, if they have strayed down this path, 
that is clearly not following God, then their life is not bearing the fruit of Christianity. And so, put them outside of membership. That's what the evidence of their life is showing already. And so, follow through in that process when someone is unrepentant. First John is clear about this, that Christians do not continue in sin. It's not that we never sin, but we don't continue. We don't live unrepentantly, hard-hearted in our sin. And so this is the process that Jesus lays out for those who are hard-hearted in sin. Now, why would Jesus say this? Right? This is the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. This seems very uncaring of God to say, put someone out of the church. Why would he do that? Isn't that the opposite? Wouldn't that be counter-effective to trying to reach someone and get them to come back to put them out of the church? Well, there are probably a couple things to consider in this. One is that God instructs us to do it. That's the first thing we have to understand, right? We remember that his ways are higher than our ways. His wisdom is higher than our wisdom. Even if we don't fully understand it, this is God's command, and we must trust and follow him. But we do get some insight in that passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about giving someone over to Satan that their flesh might be destroyed, but their soul might be saved. And I think what he's talking about there, it seems like in context, you can go read 1 Corinthians 5 today, but he understands that there are consequences to sin. That sometimes people have to reach rock bottom before they end up turning. And this is just part of that process, one more step, that no one's going to have a false security that, yes, I'm sinning, but uh, things still seem to be going okay. I'm still part of the church, right? That means something. But when this happens, there's, there's no more possibility of that. There's no false assurance, right? We're saying that this lifestyle is not consistent with Christianity, that unless you change you're in danger of showing something that's true in your heart that may show that you haven't been saved by God. And so focus on that. Deal with that. That's what this is saying as a church, that people should focus on that, that relationship, what it means to know God, and work that out. And so that's the hope we have. And then when 1 Corinthians says when the person repents, and that person did repent, that they put out of the church. Paul says, welcome them back, just as Jesus says, forgive them. And so this is the process. Now we should think about this phrase just briefly as we kind of wrap up this morning. When it says to treat someone like a tax collector and a Gentile, what does that mean? So we've carried out this process. We've seen the heart of it. It's not vindictive. It's, it's wanting what's good for the person, wanting to see them uh, turn away from their sin. So this phrase, it doesn't mean that we disdain them. Jesus has just said, don't treat them with disdain. We aren't supposed to just shun them, so to speak. But it basically means we interact with them as though they're not a Christian. That's what these phrases, tax collector and Gentile, mean throughout the Bible. They're not Christians. So it doesn't mean they can't come to church, right? Unbelievers come to church all the time. That's a good thing. That's probably the best place they can be. But what it does mean is they're not a member, and specifically, they can't partake of the Lord's Supper, right? This is a 
family meal for those who are not living in unrepentant sin. That shows that we are members with each other and members with Christ. And when we live in a way inconsistent with that, we should not take the Lord's Supper. Which reminds us of its seriousness. But we should not treat them with disdain. We should continue to pray for them. We should continue to reach out to them and hope that they continue to turn. And so we still show care. It's just in a different way. We we don't assume we have that brotherly fellowship anymore, but we reach out to them. We share the gospel with them. And so hopefully through all this that they, God uses this to turn them back, to get them back on the right path. And so the question really is, do we care about people enough to do this? To carry through with this process, to take the first step and individually talk to them to individually go to them and then if need be to carry through with these other steps as we think about a time of response this morning um, there are really at least well there are many points of application but a couple that I'll mention one is that this process in Matthew 18 is actually um, something that we're looking at approving for our church constitution and bylaws. So you'll see it out there in the back. Um, if you need more copies, if we run out, I'll print it out for you. But one of the things our church constitution and bylaws talks about already, it hints at this process. It talks about um, people being removed from membership, which I assume is through this process, but it never really spells that process out. And so we're just looking to make that clear and explicit and what that will look like, so take it and read it. Um, but that just is a reminder of what we can be committed to individually and as a church, that we want to seek the, the good of others and the holiness of the church. That's what this process is meant for. So that's one application that we're, as a church, trying to be faithful in. But individually, maybe, maybe there's someone that you need to talk to. right? Maybe you have been fearful and not brought things up with other people. It's possible that the window of opportunity for bringing that up is gone. But things will come up again. And so when it comes up again, be willing to do it then. But if the window is not closed, then I'd encourage you, hey, at least have a conversation about it. Start that process. Because this is what God uses. Really, the main process God uses for us to sharpen each other as believers, for us to speak the truth in love and grow as a church, to mature and look more like Christ. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen individually as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, but it's going to happen through our relationship with each other as we encourage each other and admonish each other. And so let's think about those things as we think about how to respond to the Lord. As always, if uh, you need to respond by committing your life to the Lord. If you have lived in sin and you've never sought his forgiveness, then use this as a time for that. I'll be here to start that conversation during this time. Uh, likewise, if you'd like to talk about what it means to join the church or be a member of a church who is at least trying to do this and moving in that direction, I'll be here to start that conversation as well. Or you can catch me and talk to me in the back as well. But let's 
respond to the word of God as we need to this morning. Would you stand as we have this time of response?